here at Knox, we're, we, uh, at the beginning of September, take a few weeks always to, to sort of reorient ourselves, to focus in on Jesus Christ, because that is the center of our faith. And we've been looking at what it means to follow Jesus in our lives, in our daily living in the city. Uh, this series is called Following Jesus Up, In, Out. So we're looking at last week, following Jesus up into worship, what worship means for our lives. This week, we're looking at following Jesus in, into welcome, into community. And, and the two, it's interesting, the two of worship and welcome are, are integrally connected. Um, you, you pull them apart and it's almost like you lose both of them. We, in worship, we, we come to experience God and his life and we participate in that and, and it leads us to extend that to others around us. And it's rooted in some profound theological teaching. A word the church has used to describe it as doctrine. And I know sometimes you hear that word and eyes glaze over and it feels like dust blows off of that word. Um, I hope that we can look at a couple of key teachings. I'll use that word. Maybe that's a little better for you. Teachings that really are beautifully vibrant, that undergird what we're going to talk about in this story. And the first is who God is. God is a trinity. This is such a distinct teaching of Christianity. Don't be fooled by some people who would say, you know, all faiths are really, really the same. Um, because they're not. You'll, you'll probably hear that somewhere, or you have already heard that. But there's no other faith that teaches that God is one but three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That is uniquely distinct. And it, what the Trinity, what it means, in essence, God is relational. God exists always in loving relationship. Love exists within the matrix of relationships, and God in his triune nature brings together individuality and community in a beautiful life. And this makes Christianity so distinct from every other religion. Because it means, well, so many other religions have, have one God, a, a, a unipersonal God, but a unipersonal God cannot be a God of love. Because for God to love, there has to be another being to love. And so if this God existed from beyond time in eternity, before anything else existed, God was there, God could have been all power and all might and sovereign and great, but not love because he was only a person, a solo there's no one else to love, and love requires another to give love to. This is so uniquely Christian, this triune God, which makes God a God of love from eternity in his essence. It tells us that ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. This is what the universe is all about. This is what history and life with God is all about. And maybe it'd be a lot simpler, you know, if we didn't talk about Trinity, you know, maybe we could figure out a God who was easier to peg down, but luckily that's not the case. Instead, we have a triune God who sometimes blows some neurons in our mind as we try to figure out, but a God who reveals himself as this loving community 
It's a beautiful thing. So you got Trinity. The second teaching or doctrine is that the persons of God share this common life together. It's called perichoresis, a little Greek word. And there's an image in that word, perichoresis, choreography. There's a dance. And it's saying at the heart of the universe, in this triune God of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are constantly part of one another's life. It is this dance of their persons. Isn't that beautiful? At the heart of the universe is a dance. It's a cha-cha or a samba or something like that, hey? (laughs) Isn't that good? It's a beautiful picture of the joy that exists at the heart of the universe. And this dance, this mutual indwelling of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit offers all of us and all of creation space. Space to be fully whom God created us to be. One of my professors, when I went through school, Neil Plantinga is his name, he he writes this. He says, self-giving love is the dynamism of the Trinitarian life. The persons within God exalt one another, commune with each other, defer to one another. Each person, he says, so to speak, makes room for the other two. And he says, I know it sounds a little strange, but we might also say that each persons within God show each other divine hospitality. This is the heart of God's life that he invites us to know, to participate in. And we experience this life through union with Christ. We're followers of Jesus. We're united with Jesus. And what happens when we're united with Jesus? Because Jesus is united with the Father and the Spirit. We're united with the Father and the Spirit together too. So we are become full, we're fully welcomed into God's life. And, and like God, because we're ushered into God's life, like God, we're united to do the work of God. And what does God do? What is God's life all about? Well, it's, it's love. God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are loving each other, making room for one another, welcoming, caring for one another. And this is what we are invited to participate in, to do that with God, but also to extend it with others. So in worship, we commune with God. We enter God's life. We share. We experience his relationship. And that leads us out. That causes us to relate to others around us in a similar God-like fashion, to act like God acts towards us. And what God does is love. He welcomes. He blesses. And so worship has to necessarily lead to welcome. This is how God makes space for others. And to let us know what all that complex doctrine is really about life, we have in the Gospels this beautiful story where all that doctrine gets lived out and portrayed in a beautiful way. And it's the story of Zacchaeus. And it's a story that gives us a, a beautiful portrait of what the gospel is all about. It tells us about the power of that welcome to change us. And it, it sketches out some of the practices of that welcome. Did you like that alliteration, by the way? All P's, eh? Power. I mean, portrait. Power. Practice. I don't do alliteration. That's goofy, I know, but let's run with it anyway. Okay? This story is a gorgeous portrait of the gospel, of what it looks like. And this story is really important in the book of Luke. It is, this story in Zacchaeus, is the final act in Jesus' earthly ministry before Jerusalem. The book of Luke is is separated out into two primary sections. The first is Jesus' whole earthly life and ministry. And the last half of Luke is all in Jerusalem as Jesus heads towards the cross. This is the final act of the first half. This is the final act 
of Jesus' earthly life in ministry. And it is a simple, powerful act of Jesus welcoming all the wrong people. Jesus is in Jericho, and he's, he's passing through Jericho, and there's this man in Jericho named Zacchaeus, and we know two things about Zacchaeus. He's a chief tax collector. This is not a lead in the IRS or the, the CRA. Uh, this is a different sort of tax collector. This is a crooked kind of tax collector. So he's a chief tax collector, and he's, he's rich. So he's in a position of power, he's in a position of wealth, and he wants to see Jesus. And this is really important just to pause right there for a moment and take note of that reality. Jesus Christ is compelling good news for both the poor and the rich, for the famous and the forgotten, for the powerful and the marginalized. There are some theologians who have talked about that God has a preferential option for the poor. And they're right to highlight this distinct bias in Scripture to take care of the poor. And I think what they're trying to get at is to get the church to, to, to recognize, to pay attention to the, to the plight of the poor, which is big in Jesus. But it's always a bad idea if there's unintended consequences. And sometimes the unintended consequence of that is to say, well, maybe the rich don't fit in God's economy. It's always a bad idea if you're highlighting something important about God and that necessarily leaves out someone else. But we see here the gospel is an invitation to all people, no matter where you are, including not just wealthy, but Zacchaeus is someone who's wealthy, who has used his privilege and power to exploit people. We, we don't like those people. And yet Jesus provides this scandalous welcome. So powerful, wealthy, exploitative Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus, but he's got a problem. In fact, he's got two problems. He's loathed, he's hated, and he's short. He can't get to Jesus. There's always a crowd buzzing around Jesus, and, and so he, he can't sort of elbow his way through because he actually realizes, you know what, if he did, because remember, he's loathed, right? If he did in the crowd, he's going to get knifed. People hate him. So he, he's got enough sense and street smarts about him, so he doesn't do that. So what does he do? Charts out the road ahead, finds a tree, climbs it up. Now, don't you think that Zacchaeus is feeling pretty ridiculous up in that tree? I mean, don't you think Zacchaeus is thinking to himself, I'm a rich I'm a powerful person in this city. What am I doing in this tree? This tree makes me look so ridiculous. Climbing this tree makes me pretty vulnerable to abuse, to ridicule. Why did he do that? He's clearly spiritually hungry person, right? It's instructive for a lot of us for who of us may be seeking Jesus. If we're attracted to Jesus... We feel there's just something compelling about Jesus. And you want to know more about Jesus, you're going to have to put yourself in a position similar to Zacchaeus. You're going to have to put yourself in a position that might make you feel uncomfortable, might make you feel vulnerable. You're going to have to, for instance, read your Bible. You're going to have to talk to other Christians. You're going to, when your friends ask you, what'd you do in the weekend? You're going to have to say, I went to church. 
Um, you're going to have to go to things like a small group or an alpha course. You're going to have to do stuff that will probably make you feel vulnerable and feel maybe a little foolish. You are. And it might make you look really spiritually needy, but that's what Zacchaeus did, right? And he did it to get a look at Jesus. And as Jesus walks along, he stops, he looks up at Zacchaeus, and he says this, he proclaims this beautiful word of love, Zacchaeus, come down because I must come to your house today. Now, one thing you got to remember to catch the scandal of what Jesus is talking about, this is Middle Eastern culture, right? And in Middle Eastern culture, hospitality is a huge thing. And as Jesus is passing through Jericho, um, he, you, you know people have pressed him there to come, have dinner, Jesus. Hang out with us for a while, Jesus. That was, it was unmistakable. It was a given. Of course people would do that. But Jesus has rebuffed all offers of hospitality because as the text says, he's just passing through Jericho. So he's just passing through. But now, with hated, loathed, despicable Zacchaeus, Jesus decides to stop and have dinner. To the man who was isolated, who was cast out, and for good reason, right? The shifty, shyster Zacchaeus, Jesus offers this surprising act of love. Take me home, Zacchaeus. That moment, that is the heart of what all Christian doctrine looks like in real time, in lived life, right there. Jesus welcoming the wrong kind of person. There's something about Jesus, isn't there? If you look through the whole book of Ruth, there's something about Jesus that attracted the most disreputable type of person, the wrong kind of person, and they were attracted to Jesus. Jesus was attracted, it seemed, to the immoral and the unrespectable and to the outsider. They were just drawn to him. And and the people, the upright, the religious, the respectable, they got infuriated with Jesus. And that messes so many people up, still does today, and it sure did back then, because we read here in the text, when Jesus does that, all of a sudden the crowd starts muttering. They're saying, like, what is this? He's going to have dinner with this sinner? You know, he's refused our hospitality, but he's going to hang out with this? All the wrong people. Jesus throws out the entire social pecking order of that society. Every place, it's interesting in Luke, every place where Jesus has the choice and there's an outsider, whether that's a sexual outsider, a moral outsider, a religious outsider, Jesus, you find him always moving towards the outsider. Not towards the religious person. Why? Because the religious people are like, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty good person. Um, I, I can come to God. But the gospel is something so different. The gospel, in the words of Jesus, is I have come to seek and save what is lost. The Lord God comes to us and saves us by sheer grace. And it's often the outsiders who get that much faster than the insiders, than those who feel like, hey, I'm a pretty good person. After all, I'm not that bad, am I? They don't often get it. You know who gets this best? People in recovery. They, they know this. 
people whose lives have just been shipwrecked by alcohol, drugs, sex additions, whatever it is. There is nothing like people in recovery to keep things real and honest about life. You know, they, they actually are a gift because they help us name our own junk in our lives. They help us get really transparent. Because in every, uh, you know, recovery meeting, people got to stand up and just name the truth. Hey, I'm Phil, and I'm an alcoholic. And they help us to name the truth about ourselves. Hi, I'm so-and-so, and I am so addicted to self-righteousness and looking down on others around me. And I'm so-and-so, and I am just so addicted to being right that it is wrecking my life. I'm so-and-so, and I am addicted to anger, and everyone in my family hates me for it. I am so-and-so, and I am addicted to work, and the people around me are suffering, and I'm sacrificing my children for the sake of my job. We need that kind of honesty. I am so thankful for those of you at Knox who are in recovery. You make us a better church. You do. You're a gift. And this portrait we see here of the gospel is Jesus welcoming sinners and eating with them. Jesus welcoming all the wrong people. This is the good news of the gospel of Christ, the surprising welcome of God. And it's good news because that's you. You're the wrong kind of person. The truth, the gospel, keeps poking at all the illusions that we live with is that we are far more broken, far more sinful, far more full of pride and self-righteous than we ever dare admit about ourselves. And yet at the same time, we are more radically loved and accepted by God than we ever dared hope for. That is the beautiful news of the gospel. And Jesus offers that good news, this surprising, unexpected welcome and love, and he speaks it to you today, to me. This is gospel for us. You're invited into God's life. It's what you were made for. It's what your heart craves. So would you take Jesus home today? Do that. And then look at the power of this simple act of welcome of Jesus. It's astonishing, really. This simple act of welcome, and Zacchaeus' life is totally transformed. Now remember, he was a chief tax collector, right? So that means he took a job as a junior tax collector first and already suffered the contempt of people, but he stuck with it. And he worked hard, and he rose up the ranks, and he suffered more rejection and more contempt and more isolation. Because he really loved money. He had to love money so much, to sacrifice so much. But then look at what happens. Look at the utter transformation in this guy's high. He says, after Jesus comes to his place, here and now, I give half of my possessions to the poor. The requirement was, you just give 10%. He says, no, 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 50%. It's all going to the poor. And he says, if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times. The requirement was 20%. He's given way beyond that. Zacchaeus is not just doing what's required. He's going far beyond that. Why? Because he's responding to grace. Because grace has just undone his heart and he is doing it creatively out of his situation. 
The gospel has sent him on this brilliant adventure and he has begun to think out all the implications of the gospel. And so his whole view of money has changed. It's beautiful. There is that sort of power in the loving welcome of Jesus. It alters lives when someone is welcomed and accepted and loved as a person. To provide that sort of community, to give someone a place to belong, it has that sort of life-transforming power. And it has a ripple effect too. Because look at this, not only is he transformed, but justice flows throughout all Jericho. Because remember, this town was ruled by the burden of this tax system and this chief tax collector. And yet now, the person who oversees the whole deal, the whole unjust arrangement has changed. And all the oppressive elements of that tax system now are lifted. Because Zacchaeus, as a person of power and influence, has committed to no longer cheat the poor. And so he is enacting justice. He is making Jericho a better place all because of a simple act of welcome. Astonishing. And there's even more. Compassion gets extended. You know, it flows to the rich and powerful. It flows to the poor and marginalized. All through this simple act of welcoming. Can you imagine the smile on Jesus' face in Zacchaeus' house as he sees all this goodness flowing out? This final act of Jesus in his earthly portion of Luke is actually a fulfillment of the very beginning of Luke. When Jesus began his public ministry, Jesus was in a synagogue and he read from Luke chapter 4 and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, to set the oppressed free. That was his first act of public ministry, to proclaim salvation, to advocate for justice, to show compassion. And now in this final act, He fulfills that very mission. He fulfills all of these. It's a beautiful, beautiful bookend. And anyone who bears the name of Jesus, we have been welcomed with that same radical love and welcome of Jesus. And anyone who follows this friend of sinners we call Jesus is called to practice this same sort of welcome to others. You see, because we're united to Christ, we're welcomed into God's life, and we do what God does, and what God does is show scandalous grace to people who don't deserve it. He welcomes all those kind of wrong people. This is what we're called to practice. So let's quickly sketch out some of these practices that we see here that we're called to practice. Often when we think of welcome, you think of food, you think of hospitality, and it is that. We'll get to that in a bit. But first, look at how Jesus welcomes. He offers Zacchaeus no food, gives him nothing to drink. Instead, he simply knows Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. He's not that crook. He's not that shyster. He's not that criminal we all hate. Zacchaeus, he's known by his name. One of the most profound acts of welcome is to do just that. Could you do that? Could you get to know a few people's names today? And remember them. And next week when you meet them again, use that name. It's a profound act of welcome. But more than that, what you're doing is you're seeing someone as a person. Seeing them through the eyes of grace, honoring God's image in them. 
That is one of the boldest realities of what a welcome does. John Perkins, who's a, who's a pastor and a civil rights leader in the U.S., he talks about hospita- hospitality and welcome um, as, a, as a natural way of affirming God's image in others. And he says, you know, you don't give dignity to people. You affirm the dignity that's already in them. And he goes on to say that hospitality is, is a basically saying, affirming that, saying you, you are significant, and I honor you. I love you simply because of who God has created you as an image bearer. Jesus first noticed Zacchaeus. He affirmed him as a person. And then Jesus gave the gift of community. He, what he did is he made space in his life for someone everyone else rejected or avoided or shunned. Jesus made space for Zacchaeus. He made space where Zacchaeus could, could just feel at home, where Zacchaeus could relax, where he could be at rest. Zacchaeus can be himself around Jesus because he's certain that he's safe there. Do you know what a gift that is to give to others? Where people can just fully be themselves, where they can let defenses down and just be themselves. This is what Jesus does. And you know what what that is? There's a theologian, John Calvin, and he talks about this. He suggests that having faith is like the same as relaxing. He doesn't use the word relaxing. He uses the word repose or rest. And he says faith is our resting, our repose in God. Faith is our relaxing. It's what faith looks like. When you, you can relax in the presence of God in the way, the same way that you would relax in the presence of someone that you're certain you know really loves them. And they're not going to come at you. They're just going to allow you to be you, which is what Jesus does. It's a profound gift. And it transforms Zacchaeus to experience that place of grace. Think of it. We, we can invite faith in others, this, this posture of relaxing in Jesus, simply by creating a warm, welcome space for others where they are honored for who they are and freed to be themselves. So can you do that this week? As you go about your week, take time to, to really look and pay attention at people around you, to, to honor the image of God in people around you. In people you both you know, your family, your friends, your colleagues, but people on the street. Consciously, as you see them, just think, this person is, is made in the image of God. And it is an honor to be in their presence. And as you do this, think through and ask yourself, God, how might you be calling me to serve this person? How might I make space in my life for this person? Give them the gift of attention. Listen to them, which is one of the most beautiful acts of hospitality in our time-starved world. Simply stopping and listening. Welcome them in your heart and mind. And then maybe eat with them, because Jesus did eat. Food was a part of the welcome, and it's really important. You know, we, we can get overly spiritual at times, and we can just miss Jesus altogether. Despite all our attempts to spiritualize Jesus, he wants to make faith about having dinner. And so he says, Zacchaeus, take me home. Let's eat. 
So extend a welcome to someone by having coffee with someone. After church, would you? We have coffee regularly. Have coffee in the Winchester. Invite someone. Get to know them over a cup of coffee. Or this week, share a meal with someone. It's amazing what God does over a meal, over a simple meal. Hospitality. Welcome. It's a practice of Jesus' health in us whereby you sit with people, you join them in their humanity, and you eat. That's, that's what Christianity is right there. Jesus comes to us in our shame and in our isolation, in all our foolishness and our greed, our fear and disbelief. He comes to us and offers himself. And he says, take me home. Let's have dinner. And as the body of Christ, this is what you do. As people who are united with Jesus Christ, who share in God's love life, this is what you do for a world that God madly loves. Our presence, a surprising, loving acceptance for all the wrong people, a plate of food. It's a witness to a world that God loves us and is something that has the power to change the world. Who knew? A simple meal could do so much. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are really moved by this story because it's a beautiful story of of your embrace, of welcome, of all people. God, we confess that we're probably challenged to welcome a number of different people. I mean, here in the city, we're confronted all the time with people whose lives and behaviors and lifestyles we just think are beyond the pale and and, uh, we wouldn't want anything to do with them. And it's at those moments, God, that we part ways with Jesus because Jesus would not do that. Would you teach us this way of self-sacrificial love that is so, that that we see best in the cross where Jesus would not only give up reputation to be with someone, but give up his very life. Jesus, we thank you for your death on the cross, which makes all this possible. And would you empower us to live lives of such radical hospitality and welcome for all the wrong people. It's in your name that we pray this. Amen.